everybody. Welcome your saltwater guide, Captain Dave Hansen, with another phenomenal podcast for you today. We got a very, very special guest. We'll bring him in here in a few more minutes. But yes, there he is, IGFA Hall of Fame Captain Pete Grossbeck, Marley's uncle, my monkey's uncle. <laughs> He's going to be joining us today, gang. You're going to love listening to Peter. He has some phenomenal stories. He's seen some amazing things in his career fishing all over the world. So it's going to be fun to have him on here. I want to thank Deckhand Sports for always supporting your saltwater guide and being a big sponsor of the show every Friday, special guest Friday. Deckhand Sports, Dave and the guys over there have done something unbelievable with the kill bags. We're going to show you a little bit about that a little later in the show. And our good friend Tommy Gomes backs that bag up. He thinks it's one of the most incredible innovations to fish carries ever seen. So we'll bring that in in a little bit. We got a good little video to show you from Mr. Frank Lopresti. But uh, I want to get going as soon as possible because Pete and I have a ton of stuff to talk about. I don't want to leave you all waiting for Pete. So we're going to bring Peter in right now and get this show rolling. Gang, thank you for joining us, Peter. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Dave. How are you? I'm phenomenal. I'm super excited to have you here. Kelly Girl's downstairs watching the interview, so make sure you're a good boy. <laughs> Sitting there with her monkey in the background. Yeah, little, little Marley, Pete's, Pete's, Pete's Marley's uncle. And Peter sent us down some nice little toys for Marley, put him on his boat, brought him down here. This little bridge, Marley loves this thing, Peter. He loves everything you sent. The rope swings over here on the right. But hey, man. You've been in this industry yeah. for a super long time. And what I like to do with all the guests when they come on the show is I like you to tell everybody how you got into it. Cause I think that's the most important thing is taking kids fishing. And I know that's what happened with you and your dad. So why don't you tell everybody how you got into this fishing thing and then it'll just roll from there. Well, it's kind of like you, you know, your, your dad, my dad was a doctor, but he fished as a hobby, but he had a, he had a boat at the San Diego Yacht Club in the, in the 50s and a little 40 foot wheeler no fly bridge just a, a twin gas cruiser basically and they go do uh Coronado Islands and fish albacore three miles off the beach you know and just that kind of stuff so I kind of grew up uh on the docks at the Yacht Club catching opali opali perch which you don't catch anymore I don't see much more anymore but anyway we used to catch those and then we'd go fishing and he'd take me out fishing and I'd get seasick and still want to go out the next time. And then uh, it, uh, it evolved from there. And then the same kind of thing as you went through is, is that anybody that right now that has an ex most experienced guys cut their teeth on the sport boats, you know, always. And you learn the work, work ethic and all that commitment and everything else. So I did that. My brother brought bought the prowler from chuck gillum and had that in the late 70s i think that's when it was and uh fished with him and then <clears throat> fished commercial fishing got on the yachts with uh say kenny dickerson in mid 70s something like 73 74 75 something like that and then got my license um 77 and ran my first uh yacht in 78 and wow, that was, that was Pacific, Pacifica 44. 
But let's slow it down. Let's go back to the docks. You're fishing off the docks down there in the harbor, and you're you're getting to meet some of the our idols growing up back in the day. You're fishing Opalai. You're down hanging out at the yacht club. You're doing all that kind of stuff. Then when was the first time you got to go out on a boat and go fishing? Well, uh, my dad, he'd go to the Coronados and, and you know, the old picture somewhere about, you know, holding up sea bass and big halibut and yellowtail. And I think just, they go out and just anchor in the lead, South Island, catch everything, right? And then they come back in. And then the long run for them would be, you know, you go west of North Island, catch albacore and uh, marlin. And they didn't go, you know, they didn't, really didn't go very far. Didn't make a couple of trips to Torosanos uh, back then with that boat. Um, and then just, you know, wiggled around the, the club. And I, and I don't know what year it was. When I was 12, I was offloading uh, Marlin at the Marlin Club, like for $2.50 an hour. And that's where I started meeting all the, you know, the Jack Lohannon and Maurice Smith and, you know, John Tanner and all the you know, all the hot dogs, you know, Tim Hauser, Corky, um, and uh, used to run the media ad. I mean, I meet all the hot. I, I looked up to those guys, and when I started get hitching some rides with those guys, and started meeting those guys a little bit. Yeah, same kind of thing, Dave. You can go down there, and pound the docks, right? Absolutely. When no, I love. I love the story. And, and Maurice came to one of my seminars once at the San Diego Rod and Reel Club. And then he started telling me some old Pete Grosbeck stories. He, you got used to swordfish with him, right? Yeah, I was his, uh, I was his wheel man. He had a 40, they don't give it that big. He had lures. Maybe he's got 38 or 44 lures that he fished with. <laughs> and we uh, caught a lot, harpooned a lot of swordfish off that boat. And then he built, he built, uh, the Vega, 46 Vega, called the uh, Stroker. And I was his wheelman for like three years, something like that. You know, that's back then when, you know, you had the airplane, you're doing probably two to three hundred fish a year. Wow, two or three hundred sport fish a year. Yeah, harpoon. So there's a really yeah. phenomenal story. I love this story. It's so, it, it just... It's exactly what you and I would do. It's exactly what we would expect to do. We had the rental boats at Dana Point, and I would take them out of the harbor you're not supposed to. You have a phenomenal story yeah. about your first marlin. You're on that, you're down there oh, on the dock un- unloading yeah. marlin at the My dad Marlin is- Club Gang in Shelter yeah. Island. Yeah. My dad had a, we got a 18 foot wooden Livesey. Livesey's, you know, they, they made some good fiberglass boats for them. The first ones they built were out of wood. And we bought this thing and fixed it up and had a mighty Johnson on it or something. And we were allowed to go fish the kelp beds. And if we let him, my dad know, we'd go fish Coronados. But we had to stay with that range, couldn't go up. So I'm at the Marlin Club. And this was like November. And they're bringing in, this is when they used to kill a lot. And they were bringing in 30, 40 fish a day. You know, just phenomenal fishing guys, four or five fish per boat. And I'm just going, ah. And they said, well, they're just just out by the weather buoy from the weather buoy at La Jolla. There used to be a weather buoy at La Jolla. From the weather buoy out about 10 miles outside that night. Thought, well, I could, I could find the weather buoy. You know, we're going to get lost. <clears throat> so we took off, and that's when he pulled um, flying fish. And we took off, and I, I think I was 16. My 
friend of mine was 16, my little brother's eight. We weren't supposed to go offshore. We weren't supposed to go outside of land. And so we head out, we head out there and we find the weather buoy. Okay, now we know where know where it is and know how to get back. So we strolled around all day with sight in the weather buoy, and there's no boats around. But that was no, you know, just CB radio and a compass. Right. There's there's no parameter, there's no GPS, there's nothing, right? It's just how fast you're going and for how long. And in the afternoon, <clears throat> um, we're pulling, I think you probably remember these, the first psychedelics, they're called first lures that came out, were called psychedelics. And they had, it was a bead with a lead weight and a, and a green skirt over it with a sidewash hook. That was the first seven strand they those. And they called them a psychedelics. And had one of those down the middle and two flying fish and this thing fish came in and ate this thing and then uh, a black six o right with what was those things one to one one and a black and red yeah black and red harnell rod with 50 pound back on you know and hooked this thing it was a nice one and it just towed us all over the place right and so we're about halfway through the fight and see all these boats coming in outside us running by with all these flags up you know, that, who knows? They're five miles outside there. I didn't know. I didn't want to get lost. So, <laughs> over four hours, fought this thing, had it up one time, went to gaff it, and the thing jumped, knocked the gaff head off, wrapped around the line, you know, trying to, we didn't know what we were doing, and chased the thing down. Finally got the thing. And Steve and I, you know, back then you, you know, you get the tail out of the water, right? We know better since then, but. You get a tail up on him. So we pull a tail out of the water and try to get a tail up on him. And the fish <clears throat> knocked Steve down the other side of the boat, you know, slapped him in the face, got up, cut up, and he puts <laughs> the thing on the boat. Well, now it's dark, right? Right dark. So I think I know where to go. I think I know how to get back. So we're running. And of course, the running lights don't work, right? So we're running back in, and there's just two boats that were doing 10 knots. I forget the name from the couple of popular water most back then and they're going slow because it was dark so we pull in between they like put, turn their lights on and they go hey what, what which way's point loma right and this thing's laying in the boat and they go are you the green skiff they're all looking for no way and i go yeah i go uh i guess <laughs> and i was supposed to be at the marlin club at four, i was supposed to be the marlin club at four o'clock working right so i go but so we take off we find the point we go around the corner, come in, got no running lights, right? I go, oh, God, they're going to stop us at the hard police stop, right? So we go, we go, I will just explain the situation. So we go by there, and on the jetty, just down from that was a bunch of cars. And a, a car had actually gone over the little jetty and was laying upside down, just almost out of the water. So the whole hard police guys were over there. We just drove right by. <laughs> Didn't even know. Uh, so I pull in there and I unload this thing. I walk up the dock, you know, the ramp at the partner club, and I get to the top. My dad's standing there like this, just staring at me. I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. And so he comes up and puts his hand on my shoulder. What are you doing out there? I was trying to do this. He said, You know, you're supposed to go out there. He goes, Congratulations, but you're grounded, you know, from that boat for two weeks. And I thought, that's okay. We'll just fly the flag for two weeks. It'd be cool, right? So right. Uh, that was the, that was the first one. Yeah, that was got back a picture when they used of that. To catch a lot of them. 
Check out this picture, gang. Look at Pete in this picture with his first Marlin. And you were so young back then. It's so cool. Look at that. There he is. 16. <laughs> yeah, that was that's a nice one, too. Look at what is that? Four and a half hours or something? It was crazy. Look at the rod and reel. You know, it's it's that's all you used back then. And they but, and of course they, we probably fought it on we, we probably fought it on no drag at all. So we didn't break it off. Those reels work great. We thought that was it. I get a 6 you got a black one to start with, and then you got big time when you got the red one with the three and a half to one gear ratio. Right. That was insane. That the was- bra, you know, the Budabra Dapron, that blue and white Dapron. Right. That was what everybody is. That's all we had. But I, you know, a parabolic, parabolic rod, you know, no harness, you know, I mean, probably, probably, I don't remember. I thought I was pulling hard, but no, we probably wanted it. took that long to catch it. You know, we didn't want to break it off. One of those things. So, got in trouble, but we caught it. And the name of the boat was Bakaruda. <laughs> and we took that thing all over the place. Took it down. We towed it down to Mazatlan. We fished out of Mazatlan with it. Oh, wow. A long, long time ago. That was a while back, huh? How exciting. How fun. What a cool way to grow up, though. My dad used it's to have so a, a, little, a little boat. We drill down to LA Bay. I'm down in San Felipe and run it down to LA Bay and stay in the back then there was maybe six little cabins or six little you know rooms. And we fished and dived out, out of there when I was I don't know, just out of grade school. So my dad was all over the place. He was a doctor, but he did a lot of stuff that I think about back then that going to Mazatlan and going to Baja in the seventies. Um, it's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. What a great way to grow up. It's all about getting kids into fishing, gang. That's the theme on this show. Every week we bring in a guest. I want you all to understand how important it is that Peter's father took him fishing. That's what brought the passion into Pete. And you're not going to find anybody on the planet Earth that has more passion about fishing. When you fish with Pete, it's like fishing with me. His, when we hook a fish, it's like the first fish we've ever hooked. Still, right now, when Peter hooks a fish, it's like the first fish he's ever hooked. He is so excited. That is, I love that about you because it's it just shows me that what I'm doing is the right thing. Because man, well, when we get to you fishing like together, it's insane. What you gotta you gotta you gotta like what you're doing, um, you know. And that's the whole advantage we have is that every day is different, you know. But and it's changed so a lot. You, know? you find them. So then you but, went uh, on from there. You it, went on to go work with your brother on the Prowler, which it's no longer with us. But what a beautiful sport boat mm-hmm. that was! That thing had so much room. You guys caught a few albacore on yeah. there, didn't you? A lot. We would we would come down. I was working for Kenny, Dick, and my brother called up, and it was springtime in, in April, and you had to in order to get people to come down. You know, it was uh, we had to get a duck. A duck total, right? You got to start catching fish. So he would load. He goes, the yellows are, conditions are perfect. So get get all your buddies. So we grab 10 of us, come down and go out and catch 40 or 50 of them, just for the boys. To get the count out there, and then the people start coming. And we did that every spring. And then there was a period where <clears throat> there was, um, you had to have the squid. The squid was, didn't have to, but the squid was better. And he was, he was down there. South Island, but 
And so we would, <clears throat> my brother came in and we go down and jump on the boat with a, another crew. We're on the boat to La Jolla, catch the, catch the uh, squid, run it back, get in there before two o'clock in the morning because they left at 2.30. And they, then we'd jump off, he'd, he'd jump on at 2.30, go out. And, this meanwhile, and meanwhile, the rest of the guys are trying to make squid in the way out. He had it. You know, it's pretty cool. And they're um, still catching that same squid at the same spot at South Island there in the gap, right? You and I had a little problem down there with some squid yep. on the old boat you were running. So you worked for Kenny Dickerson. How, how bitching was that? That was the place to be. When you got to work for Kenny Dickerson, you knew you made it to the big leagues, right? Oh, he, he, was, my, he was my mentor. You know, him, uh, Gene Grimes and Kenny Dickerson and Chuck Bosworth and all those guys, um, they had a – they had a. They stayed down on Shelter Island, didn't name of the marina, but there's. They called them the Dirty Dozen, because they're just the top of the notch around those Marlin areas. And then <clears throat> Kenny built. Um, they built a hopper with three three caterpillars in it, and it did. It cruised at 20 knots, and back then that nobody went 20 knots. And the only other boat, so we stayed out. I'm a fishing. Go down 10 knots in the dark. We stay. We get to stay later because we pass everybody below the islands coming home. And then one day we're down there by ourselves, fleet leaves, starts the fish come up, start catching them. And there's a sport boat there. We stay in there. And that's before he did overnight trips, right? And we stay in there. He stays there. And then we leave. And all of a sudden this thing flies by. Right? And I go, what is that? And it was the Patricia. Patricia, yeah. I was going to say a spike tapped. This built up. Yeah, he built the same reason. And he would he'd stay out there later than anybody and blast home. That thing was fast. For free on for back then. Oh yeah, I worked on that boat. That thing was amazing. Twenty-two knots, twenty-three knots. That that back yeah. in those days was flat flying. Flying. Yeah, flying. Everybody <clears throat> did twenty knots. But you got guys back there, as you know, David. They fish till one or two o'clock and then they have to go in. Right, because they have to turn around, and come back. Well, they fished the one, not even two, 12, 1 o'clock. Yeah, far down they were, and then we would leave. We fished till three, and then all the fish got like crazy, and we'd run home and pass them at the island before we got in. It was, it was pretty awesome. It was but Kenny was uh, here as my mentor. He knew more about you know. I mean, he was. He put me down the engine room. He, you know, made me do things that, you know, hey, you got to learn this, got to learn that. I went to Mexico <clears throat> with him a few times. And that was when he, if you didn't have it on your boat, you didn't get it. Unless you want tortillas and bread. Right? So he had everything. He had a fish hole with all the meats in it and everything. And uh, you'd fuel, you get your water from the that came out to a spigot and it's gravity. And then you fueled at the pier. For the first singles, that was it. So that was the old cannon. Yeah, old cannon. So, what year was it you first came down here? First time was 1970. 1970. My senior year in high school, graduated early, went down there for three months, came back in time for graduation. For them and things. So, um, yeah, 1970. 
There, it, was, yes. it was a little different here then, huh? We never got past Balso. You, know? <laughs> you go turn the corner, turn the corner of the cave, and you catch Dorado and Wahoo going up the falls. So when you get the falls, you catch all the sailfish and Lonnie want to come in. And we started venturing out up the beach, you know, and Lonnie got the Golden Gate, you know, and found that thing. And, you know, it's, it's better than Falso. And then the memory started getting, you know, completely ripped off by Blue Marlin because we didn't have the tackle at the time. So we got tackle brought down and started catching those. Um, pretty crazy. Not the same. Back then, Dave, there was, you go out and get three or six shots a day from three or six hundred pounders all day long. Never saw one under three. Really? All so, on lures? Yep. That's all we did back then. And then, then I start there's uh Rick Bodinus from Hawaii came out and they had a little blackfin, like blackfin Don had. Oh yeah. And uh, we started like we started lay bait lay bait with that one. In the mornings off Solmar and we get one or two shots on bait. That was the, the first time we did it. Wow. But, yeah, we catch wake up in the wake up in the morning on the morning instead of on mornings, you wake up in the morning and there's Toronto and Sailfish chasing Valley here you know, before the sun came up. You get your skip and go catch them, and you know, they wrap around the morning and break you off. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh wow! We had flat bottom. We owned a flat bottom skiff because <clears throat> back then you the flat bottom skiff you run up on the beach, and um, there's no place else to go. So <clears throat> we have one down there. Leave it down there and bring the motor with us. Bring the motor back, and then we launch it from the beach. Put the motor on. And that was a now when you guys talk about moorings down here you guys basically had to plant your own mooring right there was no nothing here there was no harbor there was nothing here there was three hotels the solomar the finisterra and the uh cabo san lucas hotel you know there was uh this there wasn't there yet it was it was uh it was palmia Chileno Hotel Camas San Lucas and Hacienda. Well, the Hacienda was originally El Camino Real owned by the and then Par Par bought it from them and changed it to Hacienda. And the problem when you anchor up, as you know, you get the wind off the beach, but it's blowing out of the Gulf and the wind's off the beach, you go sideways and it and that swell out of the Gulf, which is terrible. So we uh, came up with a more I, we had come up with it. They, the guys down there already had it. Friends uh, of Kenny's, and they set them up with a. They'd have a, a Danforth anchor and a bunch of chain, and then you have, oh, for that boat it's probably 100 feet of line to a to a buoy, and then about 75 feet between that and then the same thing going to the other anchor, and you you put the anchor on the swim step. Tie it to a cleat, and you have, have carpet down, and put it, put the chain down, and then they come in for the rope and the buoys, come back and chain on the swim step again, and it'd be, it'd be the other one, and you go right, you get you line up where you want to go, and you let it go, and you just let it go, let it go, let it go, and then you get the one buoy goes out, the line goes out, the other buoy goes out, all the chain comes off, and the other end's tied off to the boat, so you get everything lined up, and all the buoys. It like this, and you, and you straighten it out, you pull it tight so just the buoys go into water. You let that damper go, hit, hit it with a just touch it with a knife, 
skipping across the surface and goes down and the buoys pop up. And that's your bow and that's your stern, and you can't run it over because it, the pickup lines, you know, down there 40 feet, 30 feet. There was a few times we pull it too tight and come up and go right back down again. We had to dive on it and put an extra rope on it to, to pull it too tight. But and those things were good. I mean, that was. And then when you went to pull it, you pull the bow up with a spreader. You cut the spreader. The two parts will separate, right? You pull each end, and then when you use it again the next year, you just splice the splice the spreader back together. Oh yeah, was, nice. Was, you never went anywhere. Real quick, I want to show everybody this video real quick. A better way to take care of your fish real quick from Deckhand Sports. Take a break for a second, Pete. Watch this video. You guys, if you haven't seen this kill bag yet, this is innovation like you can't even believe. Tie straps all over the thing. Watch this. Gang, is that incredible? See those ribs in that thing, Pete? The way it holds those fish up off the bottom of the bag out of that bacteria laid in water. It's pretty incredible, right? It's just a new type of bag. I think it's it's the innovation that we've been looking for for a very long time. It's just a cool bag, cool way to do it. Looks like you can secure it and it looks well insulated. Yep, it's very bitching. The tie downs, there's tie downs all over this thing because as you know, it's all the boats you've built. Every boat's different and all the tie down spots are different. So this thing is super innovative, gang. You won't be disappointed. Grab the QR code. Grab the QR code yourself one of those bags he's got a great special going on for uh the holidays you check it out go to deckhand sports grab the qr code those of you that are listening on the podcast just go to deckhandsports.com and check out all the cool things that they got going on over there what's, Thanks, the, biggest what's the biggest one they make 90 inches wow that's a nice one yeah, we the other night we caught a big thresher. Well, not a big thresher. The other night we caught a thresher on the uh, lobster trip, and the thing fit right in the bag, right in the seventy-four inch bag. So he's got every kind of size you can imagine. He's got the big bags for the killer big tunas. He's got all that. So now we're gonna go set the clock a little bit ahead. You're working for Dickerson. You're getting a name in the industry. You got your captain's license. People are starting to understand who you are. And then you get a phone call from somebody that had something to do with the clothes we were wearing back in those days. Well, yeah, I was, uh, I knew Jim Jenks had, you know, the Ocean Pacific uh, clothing line. And he had a 44 Pacifica called the Ocean Pacific. And he, uh, the late Steve Reske used to run it. And they were there. And I was in Cabo on another boat. This is like, 81 something like that 
the, I think in the winter of 81, everybody was gone. And <clears throat> so we're stopping to him. He says, hey, you're going to be on the boat? He says, yeah, well, you pledge got some people left. We have people for a couple of days. So I'll come over. So he comes over that night and immediately puts down on the table. He runs out and it's just there's this drawing that he had. And he explains the whole thing. It's a 90-foot mothership, 90, 90 by 25. And it's got a 33-foot game boat that lifts up and sits on it. <clears throat> he's, telling me, he's telling me the whole thing breaks down from the bow all the way, stern and everything. And uh, it's only, he goes, there's only one issue. He goes, I, I need somebody to build it. And I thought at that time, well, Peabot will be doing it, right? Because he's working for him. So I goes, you know, well, Peabot will be great at it. because he doesn't want he goes, he goes, do you? And I'm all, I thought for 10 seconds, you know, I had a, a duplex in San Diego that I rented, and that was it, in a truck. And I go, oh, uh, okay. And then uh, I think, I thought it was <clears throat> January or something, February, something like that, February, March, I flew up and stayed up in Browns Point in, in uh, Tacoma. And it was built by Jones Goodell. And Jones could also want, if you know, you know the um, the 92 that Lasley has with Anthony, that company boat, that's a Jones Cadell. I mean, they built a boat. And the legend is a, is a Jones Cadell. What's he doing? And um, so I went up there and we, and we, I stayed there for a year, a little over a year, finishing it. And uh, put it in the water and we went up to see Charlton and then we, Came down, <clears throat> excuse me, came down to San Diego and did some upgrades and lunchy work and stuff. And, and then we went from there down to Cabo right? and we lifted up, put the boat in the water. And Cabo fished it out of there, put it back on the boat, and then ran down to Socorro, Benedicto, <clears throat> caught one of Benedicto filled boat tanks with Cavitos, and then went straight to Clipperton, which is, as you know, it's the numbers are quite right. It was 750 from Cabo and 600 off the beach or vice versa, something like that. It's Atoll out there. <clears throat> we got there in the middle of the night, pitch black, couldn't, you know, had a thing on the radar there. They couldn't see it. It was just here. And so I don't want to get too close, so we found a little ridge to drop on, anchored, anchored, it, anchored up, and, you know, go put a bait in the water. Put a bait in the water, you know, 80 pound tuna. <clears throat> you know, just like, it's out there till daylight, just you know, as long as you want it. And then uh, we stayed there for, I think, we got stuck there. We had a lot of wind, so we went and hung out there, fished where we wait for the wind to quit. And then we took off and you know, went straight from there to <coughs> Cocos Island. In fact, the Cocos Island, that was like 83. You could fish there without a problem. It was just a couple guys that, yeah wanted some chicken and some 22 shells and you didn't have to you stamped your passport but there was no there's no permits right these fish there so we fished there for like five six days from wahoo tuna um large sharks um and uh, big tuna small tuna and then we <laughs> went from there and at the time jim jenks had a a licensee in panama that sold his clothing from from there to um, Panama, and they set us up with the, the mooring and did all our paperwork and, and everything. 
and then we went down to Peter's Bay, hung out Peter's Bay for a season, <clears throat> and then we went back up to Costa Rica, and just Costa Rica and Panama, and then we brought the book, brought the boat up back up to San Diego through Mexico um, to do a bunch of boat work up there. And that was our so you trip. you jumped ahead pretty fast when you guys the story that the guys tell me about when you guys brought the boat down here to Cabo and you went to launch that innovator for the very first time, it was pretty, we should have sold, we should have sold tickets. you know, you we should have sold tickets for the viewing. We should have sold tickets to the viewing. There was the whole town came out. Right. And, uh, there was the inner Harbor. So we had, a, we had a nice place to do it at the time. There was no slips in there, but there was the inner Harbor. So we went in there and, I lifted the thing off and on there uh, until we went to uh, Panama. They Not say that that it. boat. Oh, what's that picture of? This one, the one before. No, the OP shorts. Look at those old OP shorts, gang. The bun huggers. They had to wear them. Hell Even yeah, Jim's wearing them. We all wore them. That was. Uh, after we did a bunch of work on it, David, we we went uh, from San Diego <clears throat> San Diego to Hawaii to the Big Island, and we had the, we designed the boat to where we carried seven thousand gallons of fuel. We had those two Cummins inline six tractor engines in it, right? Eighteen hundred top RPM cruise at thirteen hundred. We went from San Diego to Hawaii. It's 2,500 miles. We burned 3,500 gallons. Because we wanted to be able to get to a spot that didn't have fuel, we still could fish instead of waiting around for fuel. So we only burned half a load over in 2,500 miles. And a lot of the stretch back there between fuel was 2,500. So um, <clears throat> we, um, we went back there and we, we stayed there for a while. And this is a, this picture is in Harbor where we had a, a blessing. We had to have the fleeces on the left. We had we had the boat blessed before it took it down, you know, to the South Pacific, which everybody did back then. So that was a big, you know, all the leaves and he blessed the he blessed the boat and then this we had had a, a viewing and all that. So it was it was pretty cool. It's insane. When I talked to you about navigating back then, the things that you told me about we're just absolutely mind-boggling you know those we were fishing san Clemente island we were fishing albacore we were using charts and plotting time and doing this the way that we all learned how to navigate or excuse me those of us that are older than 50 learned how to navigate i don't know if anybody right. any young kids could navigate with the chart anymore but they can sure use that well, you can tell them you can tell the ones that can, Dave, because if you go on got north up, they've used a chart before. If they got heading up, they have. There's yeah, your, your they're right. Up. Yeah, that so, that is uh, totally true. Because all the all the charts were north up. So, um, and then we went down. We went down to Tahiti. We stopped at Christmas Island, Prince Oahu, Dorado, Blue Marlin. Went to Tahiti. Stayed down there for eight months. Um, just did the whole the whole thing. <clears throat> 
Tell the story, though. Tell everybody how you figured out weather patterns, because that's a phenomenal. The things that you were doing back in 82, 83, 84, when you were doing this, there was no Internet, gang. There was no way to go check the weather. There was there was weather companies that you could call, but the accuracy wasn't very good back then. They didn't have what they had. Talk about, I think it's incredible, the Farmer's Almanac story, the thing that you were doing. I think that's incredible. The biggest, um, you know, back then, Scripps was the, that was the hub, right? Everything oceanography-wise, any, anything that had any records and anything for Scripps. And I got in touch with a, a guy who started searching it out, and I said, I told him what we're doing. And I go, you know, we're trying to get an idea. So I said, listen, I, he goes, I can't tell you where to go or when to go, but I can give you all the information. You want to come out here? You look through, I got all these, all the charts, all the graphs, every storm that's been in the South Pacific, and where they come up, and what time of year, and all the graphs that show it. So went down there, and I was down there quite a bit, and we were able to, we weren't supposed to, but they had to make copies, and we, we did all that, and we planned our trip to where we knew that we had to stay in, in the French Polynesia from October to April, May. And then all those storms would squirt down from there. But that was the only the only thing they had. And the only navigation thing when we built the boat, that's when Magnavox came out. The first satellite um first satellite machine. But it was it wasn't a fixed satellite, the satellites were orbiting, right? So sometimes hour and a half, three hours in between. And so what I did, one of my deckhands, Lake Kenny Hughes, I put him in a, a course to learn how to use a sextant in case something happened to all electronics on the cruise quarters and he'd come up and he'd plot you know like and twi I mean, twice a day we get together and he was pretty close most of his off was five miles one day but he was going the right direction so if we had a problem with any electronics you know we had that to fall back on which was a lot of guys use it anyway right so that was a lot of it you know, that's why we call it the innovator, because a lot of it was innovative stuff that, you know, nobody had done yet. Yeah, no one had done anything pretty, pretty like awesome. it. We were, like Casey Carter yeah. just said, he he saw you guys launching the boat down there. But we all remember seeing that boat going up down the coast and just going, what in the heck? Because personally, I never heard of a mothership operation. I don't know if you guys were the first or if anybody had been doing it before you guys, but that was pretty cutting edge back in the early 80s, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it was, um, we had nothing to go by. So it was all, you know, just research and look. We built up uh, the boat up in Jones Cadell. Back then, those, there was Tacoma Boat Works next door that built a lot of those uh, crabbers and salmon boats. So we had them, they, they designed the whole lift system. They did. And, um, and it, you know, but that was all just from, can you do this or not? Yeah. And that, Oh, we, we put a back then a 32 Hatteras had a twice you knows <clears throat> it looks kind of like the innovator 32 Hatteras that we're going to put up there but Hatteras wouldn't let us do it because we we're going to put the boat up on a ship that's never been done before and then it was going to happen so we just built, built one out of aluminum with Jones Goodell we had aluminum and, and we had a welder on the boat if anything happened we could weld things up and, and it was a tank and it wasn't that fast but it uh had six BT Cummings in it, 
and we didn't need to be super fast because we're fishing right there, right? We're not running a long way. We had that thing, we had fish in South Pacific, and it was amazing. Towed it around, towed it around, figured out what the, the fourth wake behind the boat is set up on the fourth wake, towing it, and just perfect. So we towed it all over the place. We didn't, we didn't pick it up all, every time. We towed it, once we got to an area, we towed it around. And, uh, and then we get through some area. Then, we then when we're going to leave, then we pick it up. <clears throat> yeah, the Thomas guide. Crazy. Dial a chart. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Nice. We had those on the boat. We had that on that, um, on that Baccaruda. The dial a chart when you were and a kid? We had a Plus, remember the RDF? Oh yeah. And all the all the places they have a signal, and you turn into it, and you tune it into a little dial on top, and that that was the direction of, of, of Point Loma or Oceanside. And they all had a different tone. That was the only way you knew. Yeah, the sound signals no were totally. That's what it was all about. That was how we navigated lights, day shapes, and sound signals. And every every light on every harbor is on and off for a specific amount of time. And that's how we navigated, gang. I, I know you can't believe that we did it that way, but we did. And then you have a really cool story about that trip. I love the palm tree story. You see the palm tree off in the horizon. Talk about that. Then we're going to get into what you're doing now. Oh, on our way down to uh, Cocos. From Cocos to Panama, what's the name of the Persingers? The uh, one where you found that palm tree and you couldn't even get close to it because of the Dorado and the Wahoo, and oh. the thing was covered up with blue marlin. Oh, that was uh, in Tahiti. We left, right? when we left the Big Island. We left going to Tahiti. We left the Big Island to go to um, Christmas Island, which is a thousand miles. There was a, a weather buoy that's six hundred miles uh, below Hawaii. And so I wanted, <clears throat> I thought that thing, weatherboard. I was in Kona on the main town, and this Coast Guard cutter pulls up one day. I was over there, and they pull up, and these guys, they unloaded by 50, 60, 70 big Dorado, the Coast Guard boat, right? So I started talking to the guys and everything, and they, the Coast Guard goes out and checks the status of the buoy occasion. That's their job. Well, when they get there, he says, You can't get near the buoy. So they catch a bunch, they bring it back and sell them. So I called Honolulu and I said, hey, I'm taking a boat down to the South Pacific. I'd like to get the coordinates for that buoy. Well, we can't give that to you. So I said, well, can you put me together with your supervisor? Because when I hit that thing in the middle of the night, and I don't want to know why, I'm going to say the guy wouldn't give me the position where they were. Otherwise, I could have avoided it. So the guy comes on, stand by, comes out, and he rips out the lat long, luckily I had a pencil, wrote it down and drove right to it. You couldn't even get three miles from that thing, which is Went up in the tower, it was solid green, right? They caught a couple of blue marlin getting into it, and it was solid green for a mile and a half all the way around it. And we go fish the edges of it and catch blue marlin and, you know, shut the boat down at a time. And a nice, you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds of water. And they just live on that buoy. And that buoy's still there today. I don't know if the exact same one, but they have, they do have a weather buoy below um, the big island. So they, that's where you get the hurricane uh, information from. So that was pretty cool. Absolutely <clears throat> insane. So you had a little stint with the with the tournament. You were working with Steve Lasley. 
You guys put together a hell of a tournament run up here in Southern California and down here in Cabo. Did you see back that? Before. Do you have that, you have that picture of lifting the innovator? We don't have the lifting picture. I didn't see oh, it. Did, it, didn't um, it was back to that real quick. We had 16,000 pounds of lift. And so what we did, we had a centrifuge. We transferred fuel from the centrifuge to the, to the port side. And we had a, all, one bait tank to the port side. So we put about a six degree list to port. And then we lift the starboard. and only had eight degree list to starboard. And then we're done. He's transferred everything back. The whole design for that. Um, so that was pretty cool. But it, the pictures are kind of, you see them and uh, there's a, uh, I think Bloody Dick still has it on there. Um, and you know, it's a four part series that Gary, Gary Graham, did. Graham did for you. Yeah. 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 And it, it's a really good read. And it talks, it talks about Jim Jennings getting started. It talks about the whole detail lift the thing up and where we went it's a great story a lot of people don't know about it but you know then we, we go we didn't see anybody we knew there's nobody it's all just blind and just taking off and go across the across the equator had to do a little ceremony because you would go across the equator i looked it up you have to do a ceremony before you cross the equator to let king neptune know ask for permission to cross the equator so we had to just stop the boat it was a ceremony. Oh, how fun. That out, you know, so it's pretty fun. That sounds but, really <clears throat> That sounds really And then when, when we got boat, the boat down to Australia, um, Jim wanted to build um, some little sport fishes out of it, off the innovator design. So I got off the boat, and John Ingram got on the boat, and I came back, and we built like 20, 31-foot innovators. Um, that you could trail, you trail down to Baja, wherever you want to do. And we did that for a while, fishing tournaments with those. And then at that time, I knew Steve Lassie before uh, I took off with the OP. When I got back, he was starting to get into tournaments. And so I jumped on and then we did that for quite a few years. Yeah, you guys did at a level like most of us can't even comprehend. You guys were pretty dialed in on that Marlin thing. But you had you you had a really bitching opportunity with Jim Jenks to go do stuff that you had an owner that wanted to go do cool shit. So you got to go see cool stuff and do stuff where you know a lot of guys don't get an owner that they think they want to fish, but they really don't. They like to fish for five or six hours and then they yeah, Jenks is pretty passionate and what his passion was, he was a really into Jane Gray. Right? He had books in, in all books is in here <clears throat> and so of course i was curious and i started reading this stuff you talk about somebody that did something before anybody else did yeah I mean, he was amazing but there was good, good inf actually information off that that we used in the time of year certain places all that stuff but that's what jim came up with the idea it was uh, from reading, from being hooked on you know, same day books well, that is a great way to get into that thing and following Zane Gray. It's not a bad person to follow around. And then Jim had the, had the uh, pleasure of having enough to go do all the cool things that you can only dream about with that big boat and the innovator on the back. And then you went on to build boats with innovator for a while. And then you went on to 
you did some pretty amazing things at Viking too, and you still are today, right? Yeah, when we went, uh, when we first started fishing with Steve, we um, were on a Hatteras, Roisin, and some other little, little um, uh, unit flight, and then we got a, he got to go with Anthony Shea, and Anthony got, he had a 60 Viking, a 60 Hatteras at the time, and he bought, we bought a 55 Hatteras, and that's we fished up here, that's we fished down in Cabo for the tournaments down there, and um, in 2008, Anthony got involved with Crow's Nest, and we went back and built um, the 60, the first 60 that came out, first 60 Viking, and we kind of kept with that, and uh, stayed with that, and then when we <clears throat> uh, got away from he kind of disbanded and he, got, he sold Crow's Nest and disbanded the, um, the team and did some other work. He worked on his business, sold his business, and waited and did some more stuff. And, and then he came back and got with Steve again and we started up and still doing it. Then I went on and did different stuff. We had, we had a few boats and that. And, and then the guy that was at eight, a little over eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, the guy I'm looking for now, of course, from him. We've been busy ever since. Crazy. Then you worked on a few other boats, and then along came the guy that you work for today, who is as he's a passionate man. He is passionate about fishing, and you are so blessed to have that in this point in your career to get to go do all the bitching things that you're getting to do now. Let's talk about chaos and controlled chaos and cobbled chaos and absolute chaos and all the bitching things that you're up to today, which is the guy that you work for has got to be one of the most luckiest fishermen I've ever met in my life. I got the pleasure to go fishing with him a couple times. The guy is, we took him, we took him to Catalina gang and we were like fourth row. We couldn't even get close to the spot to fish yellows. It didn't matter. The yellows found Kevin found your boss and we caught a whole bunch of 20 pound yellows at Catalina. We went on the front side gang that day where we haven't caught a 20 pound yellow in 10 years. It didn't matter where we dropped the anchor. We caught 20 pound yellows at every spot. It was insane. We took, we took, that was just, fin fishing. that was one trip. We went up that one trip and we found a, saw some puddlers. I was on the roof of your beanbag. We found some puddlers in the middle there, and it was a big old cylinder mark, and it came right to the boat. And that's when they weren't catching that much, right? And that's that time is when we had he had uh, approached me, and we went to Cabo to look at a look at a Hatteras, and it was too tired. And he says, "I don't want a project." <clears throat> and so that's why I got that's why I got I met the Galatis, the Galati family, and so I went to I. He and I shook on a Sunday, and then on Monday, worked our deal out. By Tuesday, working with Michael Galati, Galati Yachts, we found a 66 Viking in Destin, Florida. And he wanted to know if that was big enough. And I said, it'll, it'll be fine if you want something bigger, you can go there. So it was less than a year old, 800 hours on it. But yeah, 800 hours on it, maybe about a year old. So we, what we couldn't, it was, during, it was June, and we had to wait to um because of less ships during hurricane season so we ran around the service center and did a bunch of stuff to it <clears throat> and that was the 2015 when the bluefin first showed and all those marlin were at channel islands 
Yeah, it was, it was even in Mag Bay. It was Mag Bay fishing at, 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 at Santa Cruz. And so we got the ship off the, the boat ship, ran it, threw a two meter in it, and uh, went and made some bait, called up, grabbed Barry, Brightenburg, called up Kingsmill, ran out, ran out there, picked Kingsmill up in, in Dana Point, blasted up there, picked Kevin up in Oxnard for a five day trip or something. The first day we had eight. And, you know, you don't get catch eight more on up here. And so he goes, I kind of like this. And I was like, oh boy, this is not what it's like all the time. And if we had 47 marlin in seven days or something, because we get this. So we go, he goes, how about a Wahoo? So we run down to the nine because they've been catching a few. So we run down, slow down, catch a Wahoo. And then we made a couple of you know, trips up there. And then he goes, is there anything? Can we fish local? I go, yeah, there's probably Dorado around. And they've been, they've been hooking some blue marlin. So <clears throat> I came up with planted let's go um put the blue marlin stuff out and uh look for Gerardo local you know 302 that area so we in the morning at 302 and put all the stuff out and jumped up the side of the boat and doubled back and spit it out <clears throat> and I'm going wow in California and then we went down and found a kelp paddy had about 20 big Gerardo on it and it was near the hidden bank and another tide came up in the afternoon so I set up camp there and we caught a Three and a quarter blue marlin in the afternoon. And then we went and did um, did a bunch of boat work. And then in June, the following year, the Coronados catch, they're, catch, they're catching a bluefin, like 425, 371, and all the way up to 302. And so we were, I, we were at the islands, and then we spent the night. And the next morning, we go down there. It's, it's soup fog, get down by the 425 is flat calm at 6.15 in the morning. Allen finds a swordfish. Then at 6.15 in the morning, we're like, what? So Kevin comes up and he goes, what are you doing? And I go, oh, I'm being a swordfish. And he goes, oh, I've never seen one. And he goes, that's awesome. So go over and bake the thing and hook, he hooks it, right? 45 minutes later, catches the thing, brings it up, and he goes to Jimmy Kingsnow and he goes, is that a good one? And Jimmy put his hand on his shoulder and goes, Kevin, they're all good. That one's a little bit nicer than most of them. And it was a 349. First one he received, he caught it. And then the afternoon, his son caught a 225-pound uh, bluefin on a popper on a spinning rod at the same day. We're, like, we're just shaking our heads going, this guy can't miss. Right? No, he day. can't. He is a very lucky man. There it is. There's the picture. What a day that is. Look at that swordfish. The very, think about this, gang. The very first one the guy's ever even seen, and it's a surface bite, and he gets bit on the surface and catches it. Come on. Yeah, crazy. It was unbelievable. So it kind of celebrates now. He he hunts and golfs and fishes, so he's always doing one of those. And And uh, we, we. we took this thing down to Cabo, and then we, and then uh, we built a fifty-four that for Cabo Cabo, and we built wasn't big enough, so we uh, built a seventy. We had a seventy-two that we took down to Costa Rica. There two trips down there, and then we want to leave the Costa Rica. I mean, the seventy-two up here for San Diego and Baja. So we turned around, and we're just finishing a, a ninety Viking that just. They take it down on Monday, 
and you know, I fly back Sunday and I meet the boat forward and we set up an outfit of rails and we put on bait, bait systems and we build a really nice gift for it that um, goes on the bow. So there's the next guide compressor and, and uh, kind of running out of film. We keep expanding because oh, I've been there. I want what about somewhere? What about this place? Okay. So we built that boat. Now that'll be our excursion fishing boat. Kind of, you know, in, in more long range stuff. <clears throat> and now, now Chris has him and the crew up at uh, Mag Bay right now because you're flying back to Florida. So they're up in Mag Bay getting ready to take Kevin out fishing in Mag Bay, right? Yep. Go do all that magical night. stuff. He left last night, but he's coming up on Sunday, and they fished the mangroves up there, and then they, they fished the way back. Six or seven, something like that. But, but you can show the picture of that of the, the nighty. I think was came up there, but um, we did a lot of a lot of trick stuff on it. You know, mezzanine seating and full work and bait system. We have two two hundred forty gallon tanks that can do live wells or refrigerator freezers. So if you're going on a long haul, we don't need the bait. Turn it down to a freezer, refrigerator. You get a spot you need them, and you just turn it into two live wells. You know, we get that that, that seam faces aft, and well, the rails on it, and the bow tank, and you know, that's it. It's the same color scheme as they have on all the boats. I like that color. I like that. That thing looks beautiful. I can't wait to see it when he gets here. Yeah, you made Kevin yeah. kind of fall in love with Cabo. He's he kind of fell in love with this place. Now he's got a beautiful home here. He, you got it going on, buddy. You got, you're definitely living your dream. You're living the dream lifestyle. Be I was sitting at home and this Dave Hansen sent me a picture of him with his arms up near and on the boss's house. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Look, Absolutely. That's where I am. I'm thinking, what are you doing there? You build a what? house, a nice house, it's San Maria Bay. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. up in Seaport, Oh, that is? Is that up in uh, Puerto Escondido? Backside, backside of Angel LaGuardia, LA Bay. Oh, okay. All there last year. What are those? Golden Grouper. I've only seen one in my life. And they, they cut. That was two. That was, they cast at the same time, almost at the same time. Of course, we, we let them go, obviously. But pretty awesome. Fishing out, fishing oh, out yeah. of the skiff. Beautiful fish. Now the skiff we built for the 72, I mean for the 90, is 18 feet. And uh, it's set up with, uh, you can dive off the fish off of it. It's a little, a little bit better. This is a bit inflatable. And they're really nice, but there's not much room inside because the pontoons take up all the space. So, <clears throat> um, it was good. No, that, that looks incredible. 18 foot skiff on the bow of the boat. Yeah. yeah I don't know if I, did I send you a picture of oh, Maybe I did. I don't think we got one. Yeah. I don't think we got one. So you're going back there. Oh, he was looking for the picture <clears throat> of the skiff. I don't think we have anything like that. I don't think we got a picture of the skiff. I think, yeah. I think one of the, one of the um, emails we got here or something. Yeah, we didn't get a picture of it. I'm um, talking yeah. to Elliot right now. Well, gosh, it just sounds incredible. It's down in Florida right now. I just got there, and I'm going to fly back Sunday. And I we just sent back 
we're fishing and landing, we made some custom tackle, and there's 60 rods and reels <coughs> that are being shipped to Florida right now, and I go back and put them all together, get them with a carpenter, and figure out how we're going to do them. We have one room just off the galley, just for the galley dinette, it's just all tackle. It's all tackle space. So you open the door, it's all stacked. And then down the hallway of a nine-foot overhead locker that drops down and rods in there and just space a lot of space but you know when you go to the wheelhouse skybridge up you know you don't have as much rod storage up there as you do on the on the convertibles so it's good yeah well gang if there's any anybody that had a question for pete let me know we got about a minute minute i'm gonna go a little bit over here but if there was a burning question that you needed to ask pete let me know we're gonna get more pictures, we'll be posting them on our social media as Pete gets back there and puts together the boat. We'll try to keep you guys updated on what he's doing. But gang, think about this. Peter Grosbeck's been in this industry for so long and he is as passionate about it as he was that day he caught that first Marlin. And he's getting to do it now on a 90 foot Viking. It's like, as a little boy, can you imagine ever being in the position that you're in and then you got something that was incredible last year you got invited back to florida to uh the igfa headquarters and you got awarded something that is really special i'm sad that i wasn't there with you buddy because i love you man and i miss you but you got igfa hall of fame captain you know they have a they have the hall of fame went and uh, did a little side thing from the regular from the regular stuff, and they, you know, they used to have and have, IJFA still honors certain people. Most of my owners and businessmen, so they, they came up with something to honor the crews that, that took these guys, and so they they came up with this uh, Tommy Gifford Award, and it's for they they elect they have a board of directors and they vote we nominate somebody and we vote on them, and it's for, you know that have stood out in their field and, and done, done a lot and all that stuff. And then, so I got nominated and elected to it. And, and it's pretty cool when you get, um, you get, you know, looked at after your peers, you know, that hey, maybe I've done something right. And went back there and had to do a speech and sort of thing. It was pretty special. And a lot of big names, a lot of big names back there at the same time, all in one room. It was incredible. Unbelievable. And Steve Lousy's in there. And, um, and Mike Hertz in there from out here. Frank Lepresti's in there from out here. <clears throat> and, and was, as you know, the West Coast isn't, Steve Lousley's the one that's getting all this stuff out here, the vision of it, because out here in the West Coast, the East Coast doesn't know much about it. IJFA's out there. And so they finally got people from different parts of the world to say, hey, you need to look at this guy. Hey, you need to look at this guy. And that's what they're doing now. They're spreading it out. It's amazing. Australia, New Zealand, you know, um, all over the place. Pretty cool. Well, the thing is about you and Steve and Beak and uh, Frank, you guys were down there on the ridge fishing that 150, 200 marlin days 30 years ago. Now everybody around the world wants to come to Mag Bay and see what it's like to catch 100 marlin in a day. You guys. Oh, you mean, you mean the new fishery they found? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's so funny when we 
when I was fishing all the time with you guys and we'd be down there and you, me, Jimmy Kingsmill, Steve, we got our gyro stabilized binoculars and we're all out finding our own groups of fish. And then you'll see there's one or two of these club boats and they got, they got 10 guys following and there you are getting your award. Very awesome. Big, old, big, big dinner. You know, a lot of people. <clears throat> awesome. What a, what a time. What a phenomenal, what a phenomenal award to get from your, like you said, from your peers. It's pretty special, pretty yep. dang special time. There's so much yep. that we could go on and on and on about. Most of our people, most of our um, listeners and viewers ha have that J-O-B thing going on. They watch this every day on their lunch break. Gang, you want to make sure you share this across all your social media. You want you want your friends and family to hear about Pete Grosbeck, the legend. There's so we could go on and on for hours and hours and talk to Pete. He's got so many bitching stories. He's been around the block for a very long time. But I am so glad that they gave you that award because not only does it give recognition to you, but it gives recognition to the West Coast and how, hey, maybe we're not. As good as the Florida guys, but hey, we do pretty good out here. Well, um, that, that that right there is Anthony Shea and my and Kevin uh, did a little speech before I got up there. Uh, Kevin told a little story. Since I was a little kid, actually, I was walking down the dock thinking to myself, "Who is this guy that's bigger than life?" And uh, over the years, he's just been uh, such a great mentor, just a great teacher. Um, very intense, and uh, the guy just from sun up to sundown never, never, ever slows down. And I'll tell you, he's got a temper. <coughs> Skip, right? And we scream at him, he screams back. I remember one time he was leading a fish during a Catalina tournament, we we're in the hunt. We get the nice fish. We wanted to leader it and get the release points, and we're screaming at him, "Release it, Pete! Release it, Pete!" And he's grabbing onto the leader, and this thing had a little swivel on it. And Steve's on the bridge, screaming at him, "Keep your hands low!" And here it comes, pop, straight into his chin. <laughs> we had to take him to the ER afterwards. I have so many stories. And the last, I'll leave, I'll, I'll leave you with. Um, we, we nicknamed Pete because he loves his parts. Uh, one is okay, two is better, 10 is perfect. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kevin. I, uh, I've been fishing with Pete for, I think it's six or seven years now. And, and that's really as long as I've been saltwater fishing. Um, I was doing other things before that and fly fishing, things like that. And so Pete has really taught me uh, a lot, every, pretty much everything that I know, which still isn't enough. Um, what's amazing about Pete is not only his depth of knowledge and experience, but his intensity at everything that he does. There's nothing that Pete does half-ass, ever. And um, it, it's amazing. You know, I, I sometimes want to tell him to, you know, it's okay, relax, but um, Pete doesn't do relaxed. He, he's really going to do everything perfect all the time, whether it's boat work, fishing, 
And uh, when we first met, I told him, I said, you know, I, I just want to fish for fun. I, I want to learn. I, I really love new experiences. And um, I don't really want to, I don't, I don't know if I want to do tournaments or something like that. And Pete said, that's okay. I, I've done enough of that. Um, and so we just run all of our fun fishing trips like they're tournaments, I guess. That's, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, my favorite Pete story is uh, one night we were anchored off of Cabo. Um, we, we were on the, the Jaime Bank and we're chunking for, it's about 5 p.m. We're, we're chunking. We heard there's some big uh, yellowfin around and we hook um, one and immediately realized it's a bigger fish than the gear that we were using. Um, but we still, we, we start fighting it. And then the other rod, we, we, the other rod we put bigger gear out and um, uh, we, we hooked that one too. And the first rod that's a little too light, we end up attaching it, this is all Pete's you know, doing, we attach it to another spool, throw that rod over the side, start fighting it with the second rod, um, the first rod, I'm still fighting. Um, after about two hours, the, the, the double rig finally pulls the hook. Um, and I've still got the, the heavy, the heavy uh, yellowfin on, and, and we keep fighting it into the dark. And it, we'd gone, we were anchored, so we couldn't really use the boat to fight the fish. And so I'm going around in this stand-up gear, and I, I literally went around the boat ten times. And, um, my back is given out and, you know, gone up and down trying to get out of the cockpit with this, you know, heavy load and it's in the dark and, and finally the boat is, uh, the fish is getting close to the boat and Pete says, get the gaff! And so, um, so you know, somebody runs uh, to get the gaff and then, you know, the, um, finally the fish is close enough and Pete gaffs the fish and it's about a 300 pound yellowfin and it immediately spins with the big nylon uh, rope we had under the boat and gets tangled in the dark. So we're, you know, we're, it's like 10 o'clock at night, we're in the middle of the ocean, and the 300-pound yellowfin is, is tangled under the boat. And so Pete says, I'm going to go get a snorkel! And he r runs into the boat, and he gets a snorkel, I mean, uh, you know, a uh, face, uh, a mask and, and, and a snorkel. And he, as he's running back to the boat, he grabs a gaff and he dives into the water. And in the pitch dark, he swims up under the boat and, 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 and gaffs that fish. And uh, we got it in. So that's my Pete Grossbeck story. Absolutely incredible. Just incredible, Pete. You are... You are, but there's a lot of people on here that want to call themselves legends. You tr truly are, my friend. You truly are. There's, there's Kevin again, right? Hooks a fish, and we catch the thing, and, and it's a 300 pounder. So the other one, the other guy lost his, but Kevin, nah. so he's going to get the first one. He's going to get same thing. Went to Panama. Panama was, uh, was great. We get toy fishing black marlin, and then we go for on a trip. Who would catch the biggest one? Kevin would be up. They rotate, right? He'd get up. Ten minutes after he starts, <laughs> six hundred pounds. And the other guys are all like, "How do you do that?" <laughs> and he's always been that way. And he he, he does that in hunting too. He's, he's amazing. Really passionate. Lucky. Very lucky to be working with him. Well, awesome. yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with being very blessed to have met you and got to fish with you. Like he said, he's been fishing for 
Well, now he's been fishing for eight years, all eight years with you. It's kind of, yep. you kind of got the guy spoiled. It's going to be, and it, you're, hey, you're you're leaving him in good hands with Chris Ham. Chris Ham's carrying on very very well, doing exactly what Pete Grosbeck demands of him. It's a pretty there cool deal. Guys, there aren't too many guys that can step in and do what he does. And and with our operation, we have to be able to have guys that can step up, you know, for certain things like this trip. Uh, I, I've got to go back. I scheduled this trip based on the boat, and then he wanted to put a trip in. So instead of canceling the trip, Chris takes the trip. I fly back, and everything's, you know, everything's uh, under control, as much as it can be. Yeah, it's it's great. Chris Chris knows that area. He's you know he's born and raised down there, and he's got his license. He went to diesel's mechanic school. He's got he's got the work ethic, and there's no problem. He goes from the wheel to the deck, or the deck to the wheel. It's all the same thing. Um, that's did what you, you gotta have. Do you see that question Dennis is asking you? What's that one? How many months? I mean the. Uh, with the OP and the well, the innovator boats, we had a we had made a, the pretty ones footers. We had made an oceanside. We popped those out once every six months, and then the the OP and the main innovator, the thirty three footer, uh, it was already started. And I went up there for a year and a half, and then we finished it up there, and then went on. So, yeah, Jim, Jim had a guy from Palmyra, and it was Palmyra wanted some boats, so he built these boats that they could put in the water with trailers uh, with deep with D9 tractors and we put them on the trailers and sent them down to, to Cabo and they had a Palmyra had a fleet of six of them and there's still as you know you still see I don't know how many left down there probably still or a handful yeah 30 ones and those all came and then from we built a 40 putting them together we, we built two 42 footers and one um, went to Kona, one went to Kona, it's still there, Kona Concept. And then we had the other one. We took the other one down and we took it all the way out to Benedicto and and, and uh, Socorro, a little 42 footer. <laughs> Just wow. Like that. The main in Mexico, and it's still around here somewhere. I haven't seen it in years, but it was pretty good. That is incredible. And what was, what was good, Dave, was that. Just trying to figure out stuff as you went, you know, because you you couldn't go talk to anybody. Because, oh, what do you think about doing this? What do you think about doing this? It was it wasn't there, so we just said, okay, well, we're gonna go do this. And so and it worked, but you know, a lot of research, a lot of you know, getting together with different people, asking questions. But a lot of what you had to do on your own. And Internet, right, right. Now you can just look it up and see what Pete did and well, just yeah. do it now. right now. I mean, you know, during COVID, you couldn't get any parts. You get on Amazon, you had everything you needed, right? Back then, it was a little bit harder to get parts. And what? And when you want these trips, is you better take everything with you because you're not going to go to a West Marine in Tahiti and pick, pick the part up, right? So we had it was loaded with everything you could think of. And that's kind of what Anthony was saying. You kind of that's how you grew up in that world, so. You, one's good two's better ten's the best because you don't you don't know where you're going to find that filter or that o-ring or yeah, that to a you know the highest level it's ever been you know with what, what they're doing yeah now they got the you know you can got call you can call a guy on the phone and ask how the fishing is or hey, have you ever fished here 
oh, yeah. And so, you know, Steve, there's, there's due diligence and the company is, they put that, they put that operation in places that people haven't been. They're going to Ascension now. Nobody's been there five or six years, I think, maybe longer. Um, that's the middle of the Atlantic, between Africa and, and uh, South America, right? So they're taking it to another level. Pretty awesome. Well, so do you. I think you do, and I think you and Kevin have a great situation going on, and I love watching what you're doing and talking to you about it all the time. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Gang, the really cool thing about my relationship with Pete, and I think most of the people that Pete calls his friends, you can call Pete up if you're his friend, and he will actually share the information with you. He's not that person that doesn't share. They're like my good friend Mark Rayer I fish with all the time. He loves you, Pete, because you've been nothing but kind to him and helped him out in every aspect of his. He had an innovator. He yeah. he had Gen Ren yeah. sport fishing over there. He he said you were a godsend to him. He could call you and you could tell him there. And you don't you're not that guy that hangs on to the stuff because you know it and don't share it. You share it with us. You share it with your friends, yeah. which is really special. Yes, it's good. And Every I don't. Day. Thank you. A lot of times I've done a lot of deliveries in my career. And I'll tell you what, anytime I do a delivery, I'm calling Pete all the time. Back in the day when it was a fat phone and nowadays with the, with the other operations that we have and able to talk and I can ask Pete, Pete, I'm looking at this weather and it doesn't make sense to me. What do you think I should do? And a perfect example was I was at Cedros Island and me and Kenny Nielsen and Bob Lorma were sitting there and I called you up and I said, Hey, I'm at Cedros. I'm thinking about leaving to head up the line tomorrow morning. You go, you're at Cedros? I go, yeah. He goes, you can get out of there now. I go, get out of there now. He goes, the wind's going to blow 70 to 90 offshore tomorrow morning. I'm like, what time? He goes, 2 o'clock in the morning. It's going to start. I'm like, shit, it's 5 in the afternoon. He, you told me, get to the beach as fast as you can. And it was blowing 25, 30 in the channel. I'll tell you what, I dropped the anchor at San Carlos and I don't think the anchor hit the bottom and the wind started offshore and we were so happy. And that's the kind of friend you are. And I appreciate everything you do for me and all of the times you help me, man. No problem. Thanks for this opportunity. It's great. Got plenty of stories. You can sit here all day. Absolutely. So gang, thank you all for watching our show today. I hope you enjoyed this. Like I said, please share this across your social media. Let everybody all your friends are going to get into listening to this. I want to thank Pete for his time. Elliot, thank you for producing a phenomenal show. Everybody for watching, thank you all very much. Deckhand Sports, thank you very much for sponsoring my show every Friday. I appreciate you, Dave. You guys all have a great weekend. Remember, turn off the news. They're all lying to you. This is the only podcast you're going to get the truth. All right, everybody, thank you. See ya. Thanks, Dave.